0: Welcome to the Runway VC Podcast, a podcast where we talk with experts and disruptors about how they're influencing the future of aviation and travel. Welcome to another episode of the Runway VC Podcast. On this episode, again, we're going to try something a little different, potentially kicking off a series of podcast episodes that are going to dovetail from this conversation. But we are talking with Stacy Cannon, who has been a friend of mine for a few years and has recently had an interesting experience in the aviation industry. I'm going to introduce her in a second, but to kind of give our listeners an idea of where this conversation is going to go, we're going to essentially do it different from either people's experiences or around certain topics, but give you an insight into a conversation that is had pretty much with every startup company where it comes to starting a company in an industry. Um, So we're going to talk through the opportunities, the threats, probably make some assumptions with giant holes in them that are either going to be proven correct or incorrect. But basically, it's a conversation that if you've started a company before, you should be familiar with. If you haven't started a company before, it'll give you a little bit of an insight as to how these conversations are had, and and where people uh, that are sitting around a dinner table, which we are literally doing right now, how these conversations take place, and kind of an insight into the direction they go into. Um, so, like I said, Stacy, who is sitting across from me, has been a part of this conversation a few times for a number of different industries. She has started several companies and is, over the past couple years, using her background in education and sociology, come more and more obsessed with data and really using data to uh, not just guide decisions, but really relying on it to make some concrete decisions going forward for her companies. So, Stacey, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. Thank you.
0: Great. Um, so, can you give us a little bit of information? Just tell everybody kind of who you are, where you came from, and what you're doing?
1: Um, Well, I think you addressed a lot of it. Um, (laughs) I studied sociology and industrial design and um, have started um, or have been on the ground floor of um, several startups. And I guess over the last 10 years have used data to build processes, grow the company, and know on a day-to-day basis what needs to happen within the company to mm-hmm. keep moving forward. And my last eight months, I spent helping a, an airline grow initially and then um, somewhat unwind in a <laughs> restructuring process.
0: So you got a crash course in, in aviation pretty quickly, huh? <laughs>
1: Complete crash course. <laughs>
0: So let's talk about what were you doing right before you got into the aviation world?
1: Working with uh, a company that I started, Mm -hmm. um, we built a system um, to collect qualitative data from the offline world using computer vision. Okay. And I was introduced to the founder of a company um, of the regional airline that I worked with who needed some support in looking at their data.
0: Okay, so they kind of brought you in as, the airline kind of brought you in as outside help to grow, basically.
1: Exactly, exactly. They were sitting on a mountain of data and wanted to see if they could use it to get to the next step. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. So how did your role kind of evolve from being an outside consultant to running the show? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so... In within the first four or five weeks, uh, I guess let me back up a bit. I I personally need to have processes and procedures sure. kind of lined up, and so as any startup, there's typically those things aren't very common. Right. Uh, so I helped kind of put some things into place so that I could look at the data in a more structured mm-hmm. um, and organized way. And I and the team that I was working with, we were able to grow revenues 45% Mm -hmm. in the first five weeks. I think it was probably, well, given the circumstances, things were about to change, or things were going to be changing pretty rapidly. Mm -hmm. So the board asked me if I could stay on and help manage the company while while the founder and CEO of the company was out fundraising.
0: Okay. That was your crash course, not having any any background in aviation before working with the airline, correct?
1: Correct, correct. Um, I, I learned a heap of information out of necessity yeah. <laughs> very rapidly.
0: Yes. I, 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 Frontline I, training. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Just to give our, our listeners an idea. When I, when I showed up uh, and sat down with Stacy, she's got a the FAR Ames 2017 book sitting right next to her. So as any of you who's looked at FAA regulations, you know how exciting of a read that can be. Um, but yeah, I can imagine kind of not coming from aviation, while it does have its uphill battle from an education standpoint, kind of gave you an outsider's look into you know, what could be done and what may not work.
1: Definitely. I think I had a very unique perspective. Um, Having come from just starting my own company or or working in building my startup for the last five years, Mm -hmm. um, everything we did within my startup was turning turning a world upside down on its head, so to speak. Um, And so when I went into, when I started working in aviation, I just, could see all the possibilities and right. the potential, or maybe not all. I could see possibilities and potential, the potential that's there. Where I guess people who have been in the industry for years and years and years know the headaches and kind of the pain points right. that that will prevent them from seeing or wanting to even look at potential, yeah. right? Because a system works, let's keep that system. Sure,
0: sure. <laughs> so unfortunately, the airline. Did not continue to take off. Uh, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> sometimes fun. the puns are, uninta- are just unavoidable <laughs> when it when you're dealing with this kind of stuff. Um, but going through that process, you know, essentially running for all intents and purposes a, a failed startup at that point. What did that leave you with?
1: So every day. So I, I think I said earlier it was frontline training. Yeah. Right. Um, it was also kind of front line like what can we do to get another day yeah. in the air what what can we put in place to fly another day and when you're constantly having to think on your toes like that there there are a lot of creative juices going yeah. because you you want to make it work and you want to you know how great it can be mm-hmm. if you if you're able to solve these problems yeah. right so i'm not sure if i yeah. you answered your question but well
0: and i think one thing that Uh, I'm a big believer of, and I know we just, we talked about it briefly, um, the idea that learning more from failure than you do successes. So, you know, I am, I'm a believer and, and I can't actually give credit to the quote, but it was something along the lines of, you know, success is a mixture of good, right decisions and luck and failure will give you an idea of what works and what doesn't work. You know, you, you know, definitively what doesn't work when something fails Uh, Whereas when something succeeds, you don't know, you know the right decisions were made, but you don't know where the right decisions kind of took place entirely mixed in with a little bit of luck.
1: Right. Um, Um, It's interesting that you you say that because the idea, you know, the kind of idea behind lean and agile mm -hmm. development um, in startups is so that you are able to see You know, you're you're changing one thing at a time, so you're able to see where that failure is. Um, And while that wasn't the premise with this with with going through restructuring with this airline, um, it definitely turned into this kind of data. Okay, that's not working. Right. And we know for a fact that that is what's causing it to not working. So what can we do to change it? So definitely, the failures taught me so much more.
0: Yeah. So when you're going through this. I mean, a lot of people will say that when a regional startup comes onto the scene, that it's failed from the beginning because there is no demand for regional air traffic anymore. So is there a demand?
1: There is a demand. Um, there's a demand for, for regional. It's the business traveler. Mm-hmm. Um, and and while it might not actually be the business traveler, it's the big businesses that are in regional.
0: Okay. So the companies that are based in Ohio and and kind of your smaller markets but still need to get to...
1: Correct. So um, Montgomery, Birmingham, Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of crossover between there and businesses, businesses there and businesses in New Orleans, Mm -hmm. right? It is the, the amount of money it costs a business to have, you know, someone on the senior level travel six hours to get somewhere that should only take them at most three.
0: By traveling but six hours by car, three hours car by car yeah. or
1: by a couple of stops on an airline. Right. Right. Um that is uh it's very costly. Mm-hmm. So time ty- the saying time is money.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah. The just that senior executive's time as opposed to the cost of what a plane ticket would be. Exactly. Yeah. Um, So in addition to that, you know, I, I think time is one thing, but then when you are traveling regionally and, and looking at the demand, there are, I mean, the assumptions are that going to the airport and going through security, parking, going through security, getting off, getting on, getting off the whole process. I know that there is a, there are several studies that are happening now that, you know, regional traffic doesn't make sense in a less than X amount of 100 mile market. Right. Um, I think I read one that was, I think we talked about the 200, 200 mile. Yeah. And that's from time, but also from cost. So can you make it cost efficient? I mean, is that something that can be done?
1: So I think it depends on, I think Yes, it can be cost efficient, and there are um, we can we can start talking about yeah.
0: Well, we can so. get into that. I mean, it the way that these. Just for our listeners' sake, this is a structured conversation right now, um, but these conversations happen very unstructured. (laughs) (laughs) So it seems like a very one-on-one interview process, and maybe we switch from just an interview as opposed to just having general conversation. That was great. yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what does, to get into that, saying that you can get it there, let's just jump right into it, and what do you see as an idea for a new regional airline, if you were going to, knowing what you know today, bringing the airline, you know, what you went through bankruptcy and and the whole nine, if you were going to start an airline today, what would be the, what would the product look like?
1: So honestly, I think that, um, for regional travel, um, would use the FBO model, right? So, so in New Orleans, um, MSY is, if, if you're, If you're in downtown New Orleans, Mm -hmm. working in the central business district, and you have to get out to the airport, it's gonna cost you, what, $35, $45 um, in in an Uber Mm or cab. Um, Or if you're driving your own car, it's gonna cost you to park, right? Um, It's also gonna cost you the time of 25 to 40 minutes, depending on traffic, to get there. Sure. So, with an FBO, the idea is that some of the FBOs are closer to some of these, some of the the business centers, right? Um, And the. You're talking
0: about the, when you say FBO, you mean executive airports. So, so the ones that may not be receiving commercial traffic. Commercial traffic. Right now. Correct. Okay.
1: Correct. Um, Right now, you and I either have to check in online Mm -hmm. um, or we have to check in at the airport. Um, we have to go through TSA, so security. Um, those that each each one of these stops creates more mm-hmm. time that has to be used, right? So if if I'm traveling by car or cab to an FBO from a central business di- district, the idea is that it's closer in proximity. Um, parking is is included in your cost of travel. Mm-hmm. Um, the I think there are ways to incorporate technology so that, you know, either using NFC or RFID when I walk into the FBO, um, the chips read each other yeah. and I, I'm checked in. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to take up space and time to think about checking in. Um, I'm I'm checked in, you know, as as an executive traveling I when I when I travel at airports, my or when I try to connect to Wi-Fi, it's throttled, mm-hmm. right? And it's it's unless I'm carrying it with me, um, you know, tying into my phone or something, I'm I'm not going to get anything done at the right. airport. At an executive airport, there's there, there wouldn't be any throttling. Yeah, right. The idea I think would be for it to be a seamless operation.
0: So an experience overall, something Definitely. that more that relates more to private air travel than than a what a what you would get on a commercial service in today's Correct. world.
1: Correct, but not the price of tra- or of private
0: travel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know that there are there are a lot of companies that are trying to solve, are trying to give the experience of private air travel at the co- at a at a reduced cost, and you've seen companies that are doing the Uber of you know aviation and there was a company a while back that tried to do it and um the fa quickly squashed it because they were utilizing pilots that weren't commercially serviced you know commercially rated um but scheduled traffic at smaller executive airports uh is definitely something that could be utilized. I know that at some airports, you know, in New Orleans, for example, the one out at the this the General Aviation Airport now isn't Part 139 certified yet. There can be... I know there are some ways around that in terms of smaller aircraft operations. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are deals that certain airports, I know, can make when it comes to TSA security. So, you know, I think the one thing that a lot of startups struggle with it, especially with aviation is they do try to get involved without really when uber came onto the scene when airbnb came onto the scene their fights were within local jurisdictions you know in terms of when new when uber tried to start in new york they had to fight the new york taxi cab right. commission yeah. there wasn't an overall airbnb has to fight the local city and state ordinances for housing um for aviation it's federal government, right? So you can't operate in the national airspace for commercial purposes and service those commercial service operations without the approval of the FAA. So the the fight for, while on the good side, the fight is uh, the well, the regulation. I guess is not necessarily a fight. The regulation is not fought on a local level. So it is you only have to you only have to go to one person. You know, only one entity. Um, but it's a pretty strong entity entity. (laughs) (laughs) it it has the power of putting you out of business real quick if you're not compliant and it usually doesn't it errs on the side of caution as opposed to where local governments can experiment you know quote unquote Mm -hmm. so that experience is something but how do you achieve that i mean how do you do that from a from a local standpoint, is it partnerships with FBOs? I mean, is that what that looks like?
1: I think it's definitely partnerships with FBOs, um, and and I think it's a it's it's a way for the FBOs to um, add, and I'm gonna say in loose quotation marks as a separate ancillary revenue stream, mm-hmm. right? Um, because if they're flying strictly private um, or accepting um, strictly private aircrafts. Then that's somewhat limiting to right. their revenue, right? Um, the I think there's a there's an issue with security and t- mm-hmm. TSA. Um, while I haven't totally
0: gotten know, there yet, yeah,
1: thought of, of of super great ways to address that. There are definitely ways to address it, yeah, especially on especially when a, an FBO is prepared to accept you know, say up to 20 or 30 passengers, Mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, 1,000, 5,000, 10,000 a day. Um, Or, I'm sorry, within a flight hour, right? Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. so, it's that, look, I, there are holes in this. And I think, um, or an interesting conversation would be to have somebody who has, you know, we talked about this earlier, that 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 deep domain experience yep. um, to kind of poke holes into it, because those conversations bring out really the true solutions. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: And when holes are poked into these assumptions in the beginning, I mean, right now you're assuming that you can, A, utilize executive airports. Correct.
1: Right. Um,
0: <laughs> and, and that these FBOs are willing to partner with you. Right. Um, We're not
1: addressing liability. We're not right. addressing... Right. Yeah. Um,
0: but that's where all the creative solutions come into place. When you start putting limits on what essentially starts as an unlimited, you know, an unconstrained conversation, when you put start putting constraints on that, that's when creativity exactly. comes in. And that's where the real innovation happens. So in, in terms of the existing experience, traveling on mm-hmm. an airline, you get the time constraint, right? Which is the biggest, one of the biggest reasons, because... While cost is there, and we can address that mm-hmm. in, in next um, time, when it comes to executives flying, is usually their biggest mm-hmm. issue. That um, was a huge
1: issue, and it was something that we couldn't exactly address with that airline, right?
0: Because you were operating in and out of existing commercial service airports.
1: Correct, and okay. as a smaller regional um, airline that couldn't bring the revenues that that majors could bring. Yep. Um, you know, we were kind of pushed to the back. Right. Which people had to walk further
0: further down the concourses yes. and that kind of stuff Yes, yeah
1: um, which all sound you know kind of a little silly and maybe a little petty but it all adds up yeah you know
0: yeah yeah I, I mean especially when you are having to deal with the problems of you can either take the airline whose gate is right in front or you can take the airline where you have to walk an additional. Ten minutes but you still have to go through the same security you still have to go through the same parking issues so it's all of those issues of today's current products plus Plus. the exactly kind of treated as the as the the pest if you will (laughs) exactly you know um or or this or not getting the credit that you know the other one that the other airlines are going to get and the preferential treatment even though it's not explicit preferential treatment. You are fighting an uphill battle right. as it is, which is a part of the startup. I mean, it's, that's... Yeah, it's
1: economics, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's um, just the... That's, that's the nature of a startup. You're always going to fight an uphill battle against the existing infrastructure. Yeah. So in addition to that, you know, the experience and... and or the time, what else a part of the experience that executives were just aggravated with?
1: Um... Honestly, it it, I I keep going back to, and maybe that's why I thought I was confused by your questioning because I think that's the biggest thing: is time is money, right? Time is money. Um, The if they were traveling on a major, Mm -hmm. so so the cost the cost for a major to fly these shorter distances is, you know, as you can imagine, it's it's that's why that's why they've all been pulling out because it's just too costly. So, because they've all been pulling out of regionals, they're bigger aircrafts, and a lot of their actually routes out of regionals, they are. Uh, you're having to fly to multiple locations, which brings us back again to time. Right. A,
0: I'm I'm speaking from a airline standpoint. So as a, as the and and maybe this is an assumption that is too broad to make, but from a executive of a major. You know where are the markets that you're seeing that they're willing to give up because the cost doesn't work out for them. You know they're, they the majors want to focus on the six plus hour. You know if it's anything more than six hours to drive, mm-hmm. they'll focus on that route. But if it's if it's if you've got to get from let's say New Orleans to Savannah, Georgia. A major would rather put you on a direct flight from New Orleans to Atlanta because those are two – a medium hub airport to a large hub airport and then just have you rent a car and drive to Savannah the rest of the way. They don't really want to facilitate that flight from Atlanta to Georgia or to Savannah because it isn't – and Savannah may have a – I don't know what the employments are at Savannah, but – Well,
1: how they're addressing how it now is through co-chairs. Right. Right. Um, so if they if they're not flying there and it's too costly for them to fly there, they'll take a a percentage of a passenger's ticket um, and give it to another airline to fly them there. Sure.
0: but my question is is and that's the express jets, that's the mesas. You know, that's all those regional airlines that are flying under the liveries of Umbrella. the majors. right right, right. But my question is is, I mean, right now you see Republic, which is in bankruptcy and has been going through bankruptcy over the past couple of years, I think. and. A few of those regionals are struggling for a number of different reasons. But do you see that those regionals – do you think that the, the cost of the majors facility, facilitating those partnerships with those regionals, if they had it their way, do you think they would just eliminate those and just focus on getting their margins better on the, you know, on their mainline routes? or is there an int- i mean is, no, i guess actually, my question is is, yeah. so is there,
1: there a, if- is
0: there even an interest from main lines i know it, they're they're facilitating these flights to, through regional airports through their you know code shares and mm-hmm. and through their regional partners um, but are they doing that as a necessity or are they like be, and it's just a pain that they have to deal with this mm-hmm. all the time these 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 regional flights all the time or are they really seeing the value of it and that's how they're minimizing their risks while at the same time making money off of them.
1: So I think that the latter is 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 accurate, but I also think there's there is a somewhat of a shift, given um, the nature of what we've seen over the last year or so with airlines and customer service. Um, they're starting to look into, okay, how can we address this better mm-hmm. and 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 not just so with regional being like a place to explore. Better customer service. So, and I, I'm cautious to. I almost want you to pause this <laughs> but, um, <laughs> because it's. Uh, I, I'm not able to get to that part of my brain where it's stored right now. But there, there are two actually majors that are exploring this mm-hmm. um, and exploring tying into FBOs oh, okay. um, to create a much more, uh, um, much more personalized experience. Um, um, kind of lower touch point, but high. Mm-hmm. Um, so t- really tapping into the executive. Okay. Um, tying, um, kind of miles into some of the the aviation startups. Some of these that have. Um, now my brain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I got all excited about this. Um, I'm my brain's freezing, but like. The Blades and the, um, what are some of the other ones? Um, Blade does what? So, so Blade does like a, a membership program. Oh, I
0: see. The membership airline yes. programs. Okay. So, the yes. Surf Airs exactly. where you're flying. Okay. Exactly. And those, for those of you who aren't listening, those the membership airlines are exactly what they sound like. They are, you pay a monthly fee, and based on your fee, I assume, is based on the number of flights that you get within that. Airline who are only serving specific markets.
1: So there are a number of different models. Okay. But that's that's the gist of that's it. That's the gist. Yeah. Um and um I'm not going to throw any majors out n- sure. names of the companies that are actually kind of meshing up that there are and we can Google it right now yeah. and find them. Um I just uh, can't remember off the top of my head. Sure. So Um so I think that is, that those those are Three ways mm-hmm. um, that they're addressing it. So, so I don't think they're blowing it off completely. Right. I think they're just looking for alternative ways to address it.
0: Yeah, yeah, because they've got their existing business models they have to work within.
1: That work. Right? Yeah.
0: Right. So. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think. One of the things that was telling and, and, and the interest that I've gotten, I mean, I've been interested in regional for a while now. Um, I think it's a little bit of a bias because I work mostly with regional airports, <laughs> so they <laughs> they have a special place in my heart. But also regional airports, I mean, you travel in and out of some of these regional airports that are getting you know, less than uh, 200,000 employments a year, and um, the convenience of getting out of them is a lot. It's just easier. I mean, even you know, you get to an airport that only has five gates. Um, even if it's a commercial service airport, it still takes five minutes to get through security because the people that you're going through security with are only the people that are going to be on your specific flight. Right. So, um, so that's one reason why I've been interested in it, and also um, I think that. There is, I mean, you're starting to see more point-to-point aviation, you know, movement towards aviation. But there, the main lines are getting a hubris that is is becoming more and more evident based on the declining passenger experience. I, you know, American CEO the other day or a couple weeks ago announced that uh, I think it was during a shareholder call. Now, granted, these are very. The shareholder calls are, are from a from a place where it's rah rah, you know, cheerleaders. Mm-hmm. We're doing great, right? We're
1: up. We're, We're yeah. We might be down. On, yes, yes, yes. Yes.
0: So so they're 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 slanted uh, for all the good. But one of the comments he made was that American is never going to go out of business, and I just thought that very ironic because a American went through a huge bankruptcy, you know, not not really that long ago. They're making money hand over fist right now, but only after. A, several years of struggling in an industry that is plagued with companies going in and out of business. I'm sure there was a part in Pan Am's life where they thought they could never go out of business. Right. Um, but that hubris, not just from a, I think that that statement sums up certain passenger experiences where they are more and more willing to cram people in, you know, and, and okay. offer these really uncomfortable products. Um, but charge
1: increasing prices.
0: Increasing prices.
1: Yes. So so okay. Um and maybe that's where I I wasn't I was dropping off a bit and not following what you're asking me, but I think in terms of the executives that were flying, um that were flying on the airline that I yeah. was working for and, and executives that I've I've spoken with afterwards is the cattle call situation. Yeah. Right um, I think a lot of I think the majors are trying to emulate Southwest a lot in a lot of ways um, that that kind of unstructured mm-hmm. degree of
0: pricing and so forth
1: pricing but also just getting on just getting waiting for your airplane right yep. and then and then boarding your plane Yeah. Um, There's just this sense everybody crowds to one certain spot and honestly, it's incredibly uncomfortable. Right. Um, So that was, that, that's something that I think can be addressed or should be addressed um, to where it's, it's, you know, I I love the olden days of traveling, you know, where- I don't know
0: too many people that don't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Where it's just kind of, you know, travel was luxury. Um,
0: But it was also incredibly expensive.
1: It was so that's the important. counter.
0: I've heard that, and I agree. But the counter argument to that is, it's now cheap. While the prices are going up, it's been it's cheaper to fly than it's ever been.
1: It is, but there's, it's it's still. I agree with you. It's still a pricing game, though. Well, right? and business
0: executives don't care about that. It's cheaper. You know, the right. family that's They're, going to Disney World cares about that. Right. But exactly. like you said earlier, time is money for executives, so they don't care that it's as cheap as it's ever been because. They'll just chart, you know. They'll pay whatever they need to pay.
1: The business will pay because it's going to be more expensive to keep eating up that executive's time, right? In the long run, yeah. Right? So um, it, the majors are trying to squeeze every little bit of space that they can mm-hmm. to get yet another seat in there, um, and it, you know, it's it's really starting to impact passenger travel.
0: Yeah. Well, I, and I think what's always telling to me is the people that I know that. And again, I'm going to come off as as a Southwest fanboy because I admit that I am. But the people that I know that do travel the main line, you know, the the big three, um, they say, you know, they always they'll say, oh, I love traveling, you know, whatever, insert one of the airlines here, uh, and then you pry a little bit more, and it's usually they've usually got some preferential status. So like I have friends that love flying. You know, one airline, but it's because they're always they're paying the basic economy prices, but always getting upgraded, right? Right, and and really in order to get those upgrades, if you're flying regional markets, those upgrades don't mean anything because there isn't a first class in most regional air traffic. You know, if you're on a on an Embraer, there isn't. You know, they they I think the new the new ones are starting to become configured with a first class configuration, but even then it's slim picking. (laughs) Yeah. Yes.
1: And it's for very specific markets. Right. So very few specific markets.
0: Right. Right. Um, So it sounds like the opportunity to kind of sum up this part is the opportunity is for startup um, is to really be able to leverage technology and, and offer those personalized experiences without having to deal with the existing infrastructure of the business model and making drastic Changes, yes, uh, which is what most startups Start-up. get their leg up, exactly. right? Like that's why they have their their competitive advantage from the get go is that they can utilize all the experiences learned from the existing industry players, but leapfrog, you know, all the hassles of having to update systems, and they can build from the ground up, but technology focused product
1: right because they haven't been beaten down by the industry right (laughs) and and um, not beaten down i shouldn't say but uh but but kind of accepted the status quo um because you know
0: right so what is a so we talked about it a little bit one of the other assumptions is we have is that there is a, a demand for air travel at executive airports but a lot of these executive airports are facilitating major metropolitan cities that have major commercial service airports Mm -hmm. i guess how do we identify the markets that aren't going to be that do provide that opportunity as opposed to you know flying a regional from chicago to milwaukee i don't know if that makes you know a regional startup chicago and Milwaukee both major metropolitan cities both have well chicago's got two major airports milwaukee has their one um, they both have their, their commercial service airports. There are the main lines fly that. So if I'm an executive flying that multiple times, I'm going to get the upgrades all the time, and my experience is going to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. So how do you identify the regional markets that are being underserved by the main lines that can open opportunities for regional travel?
1: What, um, I think looking at the businesses that are there, mm-hmm. right? Looking at, looking at economic growth, Looking at exist existing passenger travel, repetitive repetitive passenger travel, um, it, it was much easier I think for me to see that in working for an airline and mm-hmm. seeing that data internally. Having access to that data outside of an airline is mm-hmm. a bit more difficult, right? I think that uh, why was
0: that? Is that not what's? Were what some of the metrics you were looking at when you say economic growth was it? household income or so
1: so so um i just meant specifically for passenger travel sure that was easier to see internally right if companies are growing Mm -hmm. right um that that's that's all i mean by that um so so one of the examples that i kind of did a little bit of research into because i was curious about it and i want to preface that all of these statements that i've said are you know Talking about the potential of another model is definitely sure. assumptions. Um, but some of the research I did was was looking at um, New Orleans to, and while this isn't a a regional, it's New Orleans to Katy, Texas, okay, or to the Energy Center outside mm-hmm. of Houston. So right now, if I'm if I'm going to fly into Houston and I want to get to West Houston, mm-hmm. right, um, depending on traffic, it's going to take me anywhere near forty to. 45 minutes to an hour mm-hmm. to get out to where all of the energy companies right, are mm-hmm. located. Um, if I flew from from Lakefront, the FBO at Lakefront, to the FBO in Katy, it would be right there.
0: Oh, okay. I see. Does that make sense? Yep. So you're looking at suburban airports, basically. Basically. Is, yeah. Yep. Okay.
1: Same thing with um, flying in, as opposed to flying into um, Hartsfield mm-hmm. in Atlanta. Um, there is an FBO outside of right, sorry, right in Alpharetta. Mm-hmm. Right?
0: Okay, so you're looking at not you're you're not trying to impede on. you well, you're not trying to create new markets. Basically, not going after new markets that markets that may not be served by you know there are obviously plenty of flights that fly New Orleans to Atlanta right. on a daily on a right. multiple times a day. Yep you're not trying to find a new route that isn't being served. You're just going to try to find a new solution to an already existing successful route, if you will. Correct. Okay. So that's, yeah, so that's an interesting take. And again, the assumptions, and we've said this, and we're going to continue to say this, (laughs) is is that our assumptions are being made, but uh, there are definitely going to be some holes that that people listening can poke into. And, And we're going to... Hopefully address that, like I said in the beginning, as, as the series goes through. Um, well, so let me ask this then, and and what is that? And this is the conversation, the question that I was going to ask uh, before we get into some of the threats, which is mm-hmm. I think we haven't talked about yet. But what does that experience look like? And you kind of briefly touched on it, but let's let's talk about um, Mary's experience as as a CEO. Um, what would her ideal experience be on this product
1: um so there, her travel her travel plans are arranged for her. she knows that she has to um, walk outside and get into an uber or lyft mm-hmm. um, to be taken to the nearest fbo um, which would you know ideally not be longer than a 10 minute drive mm-hmm. um she walks into the fbo And um, whether she's dropped off by an Uber or she leaves her car there, there's low friction, right? And she walks into the the, the FBO. Um, When she walks in, there's a system, there's technology that automatically checks her in. um, Potentially um, a system where she is essentially walking through TSA, but Mm -hmm. it's not the TSA that we know of as Sure. Today, right.
0: Which actually, we've had people on the podcast that have talked about alternate, se- passive security, if you will.
1: Right. Um, and that's
0: something that is being
1: tested. Tested
0: at, at well, in so many ways, you're starting to see the beginnings of that being tested. Whether it's facial recognition, which TSA right. is testing at a number of airports across the country, and you're starting to see the idea moving towards a passive security.
1: Right. Um. So. So. Then maybe she realizes she has 15 minutes,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, 20 minutes before the, the the plane departs. So she logs into her computer to get some work, send some emails. Um, there's low friction there, right? She just needs the password. Um, she at you know 15 minutes later, someone lets her know that it's time to board the aircraft, and her bags have already been taken onto the aircraft if she ha- if she has them. Um, and the same thing on the other end. And maybe she has a meeting in um, in an area. Mm-hmm. In, say say she's flying to Katy, Texas. Maybe the meeting um, could potentially be set up at the FBO, mm-hmm. right? Um, so she conducts the meeting, and after it's over, she helps on the next flight to take her back to New Orleans.
0: So is this a question then...
1: So it's not very different, other than just skipping sure. all of the time-consuming.
0: So is this a question then of a new airline, or is it a question of um, an FBO, an already existing FBO, offering airline services? So you see the FB, the big FBOs like Signature,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which has, you know, um, they run FBOs at, at airports all across the yeah. country. Is this a case that then Signature could potentially get into, should or should or pot look into getting into the air tra- or commercial service as opposed to starting a new airline?
1: Yeah, I think so. I, I would, I, yes, I do. Um, you know, there there there's always issues, like the pilot shortage mm-hmm. is a big issue. Um,
0: but, but how does starting a new airline as opposed to
1: is it right? So, I, I,
0: I mean, regionals across the country are and they're all dealing with you know the pilot <laughs> the, shortage. Yeah. Every regional is. Um,
1: so, um, it's I'm not sure if Ultimate is uh, has a partnership with FBOs or if Ultimate actually has their own. Ultimate is Ultimate Air Shuttle. Okay. Um, so, they are actually. Um, they have a similar setup to kind of what i'm discussing just minus some of the you know fluff of technology okay
0: where are they i don't so i'm not familiar with
1: so i think their headquarters are in cincinnati mm -hmm. um and i I, i'm this is again one of those things that it's um i don't want to speak out of turn sure you don't want
0: to speak on their behalf or anything like that yeah um,
1: without really fully knowing everything i think that um it seems like if that is in fact the model that they have, where it is an airline, and they also have their have their own FBO. That mm-hmm. um, that seems like an ideal situation. Yeah,
0: yeah. So more airlines getting, whether it's a new airline or an an existing FBO that's able to add to that. Uh, and I think you're right. You're starting to see. The majors already starting this but it sounds like the op- the real opportunity is to control the experience
1: exactly
0: from soup to nuts yes. and and the opportunity for a new airline startup new regional airline startup is to do it in smaller airports that aren't plagued with the existing uh structure right
1: and if i can use infrastructure as the as is the word, but you know, going through paying for parking. Yep. Um, the lines through TSA, the lines and check-in all of that. Yeah. Infrastructure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, creating the experience from start to finish, um, is ideal. Yeah. And I think there's a way for, I mean, I honestly, I'd, I'd love to see somebody come in and and do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I would love to see somebody – I would love to see a start a startup or startups come in um, and create this experience from start to finish. But I also think there's a way for the majors to, to get involved in the mm-hmm. process as long as there is – as long as it doesn't impede, Yeah. right? Um,
0: well, it would require an experiment on their part, and they are – whether it's <laughs> their executives or their um, – shareholders that they have to answer to which is another benefit of a startup you know you're not answering to you're able to experiment while you're experimenting with your board you know answering to your board you're you're not you don't have to do it with conservative shareholders and and that kind of stuff
1: i i i very naively um was surprised by the lack of innovation Mm -hmm. in aviation because i've always looked to it as one of the most innovative industries right right <laughs> um but business is business yeah. right and and that is um a difficult place place for um, big corporations to put yeah spending
0: so the last part about this conversation is i do i don't want to ignore the potential um threats to regional aviation you know and 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 while we talk about the problems, the issue with air traffic today that could be, or air travel today that could be solved with a regional startup is a regional startup, something that does have life beyond ten years from now, with you know the trends of technology um, coming down the pipe. And 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 while com- competition, direct competition is something to look at. You know, there's always the case that if startup A, you know, air air Uh, airline, um, is successful, there's not a whole lot that stops Delta from coming in and and putting in an aircraft that offers the same service, you know, and and doing it at a lower price because they can swallow the the loss factor there.
1: But it is a costly loss factor. Yeah. And that's part of why they've been pulling out. Sure.
0: Um, but but the, the question I mean this what I was going to was there is the direct threat of competition through other airlines um, that are making money hand over fist with their existing infrastructure. So while they're maybe a personality that's resilient to <laughs> experimentation, they there is an argument that they have the budget to exper- <laughs> experiment. But so
1: step it up. <laughs> right, exactly.
0: Um, on the other hand, there is a indirect competition that's coming down the pipe. So you're looking at yep. driverless cars, right? So yep. that's the – if nothing else, the sub-200-mile um, air travel uh, is going to be a threat. Driverless cars will pose a threat to that market. At least that's what it's proposed to do. Um, the other one is Hyperloop or, or whatever – high speed traffic is is going to be um so i don't know if that is something that you all looked at or you've thought through in terms of is that a reality or not
1: um hyperloop i i I think i I would like to believe that that's i mean that's a massive undertaking Mm -hmm. requiring years and years and years and years right yeah While i would love to see it um whether it impacts Competition. I I think. I think. The more. I mean, the more options there are for travel. Right. Right. Um, I think the better. Um, Sure.
0: From a from a customer standpoint, but that's not from a business standpoint. The more options means
1: different experiences, though. Right. Yes. Um, Different experiences can address different markets Mm um yeah i mean i think the competition is going to be there i think it's going to be several years yeah and and hopefully aviation will get to a place with innovation that it's constant innovation Mm -hmm. right um and then so how do how do these different means of transportation start to tie in and work together right um while it hasn't been something that we totally, that I totally explored, it's it's um, I, let's let's explore it on the next on yeah. the next no, conversation. And I think There's
0: I a, I think your point about the investment and timetable for Hyperloop. While I do want to see it, um,
1: it's a ways out.
0: Not only is it a ways out from a developmental standpoint, but just the the argument that I have in terms of whether or not Hyperloop will impact or or against the statement that Hyperloop will have an impact into regional air travel is just the cost I mean when you look at regional air travel that infrastructure essentially is already in place you've got the airports they've got the runways yeah. does it require will it require or would it require some airports to invest to update their certifications so whether or not they're 135 or on the other hand um, working with the FAA to change that regulation. Yes, I mean, and, and those are significant costs too, because God knows the FAA doesn't move anything you know fast mostly. And, and there are costs that an airport would have to take in to upgrade from where they are now to a, a, one, a 135 or a 139 certificate. Um, but those costs are nowhere near. What it would co- what it's going to cost to put in the infrastructure for a hyperloop? Correct. Net for a hyperloop network and and and
1: massive. Yes, network.
0: just from a construction standpoint on on manufacturing and 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 parts and labor is one thing. But then when you look at and this is one thing that people don't really when I've heard when I've talked to people about hyperloop they don't really address. Um, but Elon's initial Concept was San Francisco to LA, and you think, okay, that's all well and good, and and you can get through. And he's created his boring company, which is mm-hmm. literally boring tunnels for those of you. It's not just a company that's boring; uh, <laughs> it's it's literally a company that's boring tunnels. Um, but you look at the environmental cost that that's going to be in terms of just this the amount of studies to get to move that amount of earth. Um, And then the right-of-ways. I mean, when he announced San Francisco to LA, and I'm thinking, well, that's probably digging holes underneath some of the most expensive real estate in the country. Um, that's not gonna be cheap. Just getting through you know, getting through having to buy a parcel of some of a property owner's land. Um so Yes, all of those costs. And then also the people that I've heard, the investors that I've heard talk about Hyperloop, most of them aren't talking about passenger movement. They're almost all of them that when it comes to an investment standpoint are talking about cargo and they're talking about cargo underwater um, from China to the U.S. on the West Coast and then even from the south across the Gulf of Mexico, from Brazil, which is becoming more and more of a factor, uh, a player in the manufacturing space across the world, to the United States. Um, so, you know, where, and that makes a lot of sense. Technology and innovation aside from figuring out how to get these things underwater, um, you're not dealing with right away, you know, you're not right. purchasing right aways and, and you're not having to move massive amounts of earth. And, and again, being able to, maintain these networks underwater is a a whole nother technological costs but in the long run cheaper to to scale than it would be to to scale across land Um, so that's the one thing that I think from a uh, hyperloop standpoint that it's going to be a threat there are that kind of are the argument that hyperloop will be a threat to regional air traffic in terms of driverless cars
1: our our world is going to be flipped on its head in yeah. about five or six years. I strongly believe that.
0: Which when it comes to driverless, driverless cars, yeah. yeah. Um, no, I, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't, be a world that I don't think people. I, I don't think anybody would disagree with that statement. Um, I'm curious to see what driverless cars look like from a. Um, long-term or long-distance travel you know even 200 mile, four hours if you're looking at a 200 mile trip essentially Mm -hmm. um that time is unavoidable right like they're still dealing with the concept while you can you know the dream is to be able to work in the car and work anywhere um the time of that the time of that travel is unavoidable when it comes to speed
1: right well okay so so let me kind of guess retract that statement a a bit our world i feel like our world's gonna be turned upside down like it was when you know in 90 was it 92 93 94 when the internet came into our Mm -hmm. lives right um but it is going to take time time for to change consumer behavior right there are once it's a once it's a a a well-moving system which will take time Mm -hmm. um it addresses, in some ways, right, um, the idea is that the kind of automation addresses some of the problems that humans right. create, right, like traffic. and Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's because you said something, something earlier that kind of made me think of this, but, uh, you know, I think another way that regionals can kind of, or the importance for regionals is um, that some of these driverless cars, you know, when we're thinking about passenger travel, like if some of the regionals were addressing cargo mm-hmm. travel um, to kind of supplement revenue, but also address that need, um, could I guess in I didn't I didn't really think through all through all of that, but um, but could kind of address the interim. Um, yeah
0: for sure for sure yeah and i think i mean there are plenty of reasons and again this was a conversation this initial conversation to kind of bring this around this is the initial conversation that happens (laughs) when you're identifying opportunities for a new company right um there's some opportunity there just having this conversation you know and and
1: the idea of throwing everything, like, n- there's no bad idea, right. right? Get it all up on the wall and then pull
0: Yeah. that
1: I- deep experience and knowledge into the room to say, well, have you thought about the impact of this on right. this? And you start to shave away, right? Yeah,
0: and you look at what the potential that comes down the line. I mean, one thing that we haven't talked about, um, which we can address, I think it would be addressing this with a follow-up episode um, but it's just the the cost of regional travel right now regional aircraft are not inexpensive i mean they're expensive to operate um, mostly because startups aren't going to be able to go out and buy they're just from a a standpoint of fundraising and whatnot you're not going to start an airline and go out and buy brand new embryos right right? (laughs) the the most efficient you know um bombardiers that are coming off the line Regardless of whether or not there's a a 200 or 300 percent markup on (laughs) on tariffs, (laughs) Um, but just from a fundraising standpoint, you know that you're not going to be able to go buy a fleet, at least the necessary startup fleet. So you're going to already be sacrificing efficiencies for cost in buying older aircraft. Correct. Um, And and down the line, while all of the aircraft today are operating on jet fuel. You're looking at technologies that are coming that could change the way that those aircraft fly. Whether it's through hybrid solutions, which are being you know investigated and, and aircraft are being developed now, um, which
1: is super excited, exciting for regionals, right? yeah, because they're shorter haul flights,
0: right, and more realistic flights to routes to tackle on a hybrid you know the batteries necessary to get long range in a hybrid battery aren't going to be there right you're going to sacrifice the weight you're going to have to sacrifice in batteries is going to be just too drastic uh, to get you from la to san francisco but on a 500 mile trip um the weight balance there does make play and then there are you know, I think I may have mentioned this on a previous episode, um, or I'm sure people that are listening to podcasts have seen it in the news. But there are the comp- there is a company that both Boeing and JetBlue has has invested in that is experimenting with that hybrid technology to get that short haul trip. You know, jet fuel essentially take off, cruise on battery, land on on fuel again, and the cost of operating that aircraft. I would imagine the
1: impact on the environment. There's so many. Yeah,
0: well, and, and and assuming the the impact on the environment is something that ever that from a corporate standpoint, culture you you care about. But if so many times have we seen environmental impacts take sacrifice to cost cutting measures. Yeah. So um, I do want to. I mean, I I want to tout that impact environment is important because I don't want to seem like someone who's just <laughs> <laughs> paying because that's not me at all. But from, but a, reality, from a reality of its standpoint, yeah. right, like the cost of being able, the cost savings from operating easily translate down to the passenger, which then, you know, a hybrid regional aircraft makes regional air traffic even more affordable. And if you can do it on a smaller aircraft, which you would assume would be more comfortable to fly in than... You know, getting crammed into a, a sorry a 767 or even a 777, that does change the dynamics for long-term regional as well and and, and making that even more of a viable business model. Yeah. Which
1: is, so, that's super exciting. Yeah.
0: No, it's definitely going to be one of those things. So, I mean, of course, I, we're getting – we're over an hour here, so I kind of want to <laughs> wrap this up because we can continue to talk about this. Um we did not talk about you know there were a number of things we didn't address pilot shortage being one of them um which is something that is being trying to be solved. I think technology will be a solution to that
1: I also think regional travel is a solution to it, right we won't i, I yeah, know we're yeah 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 but but the idea of being able to you know some of these semi retired retired pilots that want to fly during the day right and want to be home with their families in the evening. Can start to train their first officers. Sure, um, but we can get into yeah, that. Yeah, in absolutely.
0: Episode. Yeah, and so there, and there are another, uh, a litany of other assumptions that we made here that I'm sure again, <laughs> stressing again that people can poke holes into. But I think that this does. I mean, if nothing else, we could send this podcast to Signature and give them <laughs> <laughs> right. an opportunity to business for a business model going forward. So I, 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 I think that this does require a follow-up conversation which you and I will definitely have and and we'll probably bring in some more people to see where it goes and if anybody has any any feedback for better or for worse I think this hopefully this is a uh, an episode that does require somebody or does inspire someone to send me an email and tell me why we are completely wrong oh. all <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah so I mean it is definitely was a fun conversation if anybody wants to kind of further up or 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 tell us why we're wrong tell us tell them where they can reach out to you on twitter or or anything like that
1: um canon groks
0: okay can you spell Um, that for and i'll put the link in 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 the show notes but
1: c-a-n-n-o-n-g-r-o-k-s
0: that's at twitter that's that's your twitter Twitter. handle okay
1: linkedin yeah Stacey cannon okay um Close the, that's it close all best. right yeah. No, that
0: that pretty much covers the litany of it um,
1: this is fun yeah thank you no
0: I appreciate you you being on the episode and um,
1: I, I like shoot for the moon right yeah and then start to figure out what the path is by talking to experts and
0: right yeah I think that this is something that we need to continue the the conversation and, and um, figure out where the constraints are and, and maybe by the end, of all of these conversations we have, we'll have developed a business model nice. for for somebody else to come <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. in. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Well, Stacey, thanks so much for joining us. Thank and you, uh, we'll yeah, we'll definitely we'll talk again soon. I appreciate it. Thank you. So, like I said, unformatted, unstructured. We'll see how it goes. Uh, let us know what you think. We may do a follow up series to this episode where we record conversations validating our assumptions with other experts. So like I said in the beginning, some of these assumptions we know are going to be wrong, uh, but we want to validate which ones are flat out wrong and which ones may have a little bit of wiggle room if regulations change. We may have conversations with maybe potential partners. So throughout the conversation, you heard us talk about where there were partnership opportunities. Uh, And then who knows, we may even do quote unquote pitch uh, to a potential investor. Basically, what we're thinking, it could mimic all the conversations you would have if you wanted to actually start an airline without doing any of the paperwork. Admittedly, we're still trying to figure this out. So if you have any comments, you have any feedback, or this is something you'd like to see or not like to listen to, please let me know. You can catch Stacy on all of her social media. Like she mentioned earlier, the links are in the show notes. You can also follow us uh, on Twitter, just at RunwayVC. And if you want to sign up for our newsletter, you can go to www.runway.vc. You can just click on the podcast button and just put your email address in that little box. Uh, we're actually doing uh, a few different things on social media and with our newsletters where we're not just posting up news articles, but we're also giving you our commentary on these articles. So you'll you'll read the article from whatever publication and then kind of on the side is, is our little quips and comments, feedback, thoughts, whatever. It's actually turned out to be a lot of fun doing this. If you're new to the podcast, make sure you subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using so you can get the latest episodes uh, downloaded straight to your phone. I know that these episodes aren't coming out on the most regular basis, so definitely subscribing is the easiest way to make sure you get the latest one. As always, we want to thank the airport planning firm Cutchins & Grow for helping make this podcast possible. If you're an airport that's looking for anything from independent fee estimates to master plans to environmental actions, make sure you look up their website at www.cutchins, that's K-U-T-C-H-I-N-S hyphen grow, dot com. So www.cutchins-grow.com or you can just shoot them an email at K-G at cutchins-grow.com. And finally, we want to thank Bruno Masson for letting us use his music for our intro. Bruno does a great job of mixing aviation noises with music, and it actually turns out to be really cool. It's definitely some music that I'll listen to uh, while I'm just trying to get some work done or just need a little background music. You can check out his website at brunomasone.com. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next one.